You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a fun show for you guys today. We have had a lot of uh, media availability with USC's coaches and players, so some new things on the horizon. We have a lot to talk about. We'll recap the week that we've had so far. Uh, today is the day is a quote uh, up on the b- below me because that's what USC's defensive coordinator said uh, today this morning because USC had their first full pads practice, uh, I believe, at 4 p.m. So we'll get into that and give you all the training camp updates. And then the Trojan talent rank. That's something, Ryan, I'm going to have to toss over to you. You wrote that story about where uh, USC ranks in their composite talent ranking, something 247 Sports does. So we'll drive, dive into that. And of course, you can call us 5124-TUNNEL and we will answer your questions and your uh, comments, whatever you want to tell us. And then you can tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. We're having some technical difficulties, so I can't put your questions up on the screen. But Shaq and I will be reading them. We'll follow along. Don't worry about that. I believe we are live on Periscope and Facebook. I'm trying to get YouTube to work. YouTube's a little tricky sometimes. So uh, thanks for watching us on a different platform if you're doing so. But guys, like I said, a lot to catch up on since we've had so many uh, pressers starting Friday and and three or four this week. Four total this week. Three so far this week. Uh, First off, training camp. What you've heard from the coaches, what are your overall thoughts? Ryan, let's start with you. Yeah, sorry for the, the YouTube people. I know we have some issues with that, but I'm going to be monitoring Periscope uh, as well. Cool. Uh, and I keep trying to like click on something and the ad keeps moving. It. Um, technical difficulty. So I'll, I'll try to monitor what you're going on with uh, Periscope. But yeah, it's been really interesting to hear from Clay Helton a couple of times. We've heard some offensive uh, coaches and players with Graham Harrell and then also with uh, this morning and Todd Orlando. I think the biggest takeaway... And uh, I love the instant analysis you guys did uh, this morning after the, the, the uh, early morning interview. We got to hear what Todd Orlando was saying leading up to the day of the full pads practice and the full first time they're going to tackle. And I loved how he was calling like those other practices, almost called them non-practices where they're non. He didn't really put a lot of stock into what was going on. And just every other word out of every like, phrase out of his mouth was, you know, flying to the football uh, being physical, tackling—it just—it just seemed like that's what he wanted to see. That you can see guys do stuff in uh, t-shirts and shorts and helmets, but really, when the pads come on, is a guy faster uh, when he has pads on and he's running to chase somebody down, or is he? Does he run a half step slower than what he would normally? And I, I felt like just listening to him talk, it was a different mentality going in uh, to practice. And if the defense is going to play like that. I think that can carry over to the offense as well. You know, Graham Harrell, I think he was saying the right things. Uh, I mean, they got a, a great receiving core. 
You got the same running backs back. Obviously, you got Keaton Slovis. Not a lot of depth there. But you feel pretty good about the offensive skill positions. And he was pretty positive on the offensive line, which is definitely going to be one of the biggest questions. But that's more of a kind of a develop, like you're just evolving a little bit, going from year one that was highly effective. And then to year two, you're going to clean up some things. Things are going to supposed to get better. You got so many of those same pieces coming back. Elijah Vera Tucker was a big one. So it, the offense was a little different. It's more of a just they're kind of morphing from one, you know, from the you know version one to version 2.0. Uh, this is a completely this is beta on the defensive side of the ball, and it just feels like the operating system that Todd Orlando is using is a lot different than what we've seen uh, in the years past. Shockham, what about you? What are your thoughts? I mean, obviously, uh, listening to Todd Orlando today, you know, it, it was a, a breath of fresh air for a lot of USC fans. That's the comments we got on the message boards and stuff, um, you know, talking about the running and hitting and all those things, which – he also said during the spring before, you know, they got out on the practice field, but this is the first time we've got to talk to him since he's actually had the players on the field. He didn't want to make any uh, judgments about guys, how they looked, you know, the first couple of days, you know, Ryan tried to ask him who's standing out. And he was like, eh, get, get back to me in four or five days. He didn't want to say anything. He's like, Hey, they all look good in t-shirt and shorts. But what do you look like when someone's chasing you? Or what do you look like when you're trying to chase somebody down? You're trying to fend off a block. You know, those type of things. Those are a lot different. Uh, and he, he used the quote, uh, and I thought it was interesting, the analogy. He said some guys are 4-6 running, and then when someone's chasing them, uh, you know, they're avoiding someone, they're running a 4-9. And then the opposite, some guys are a 4-9 on, on track day, uh, on the testing day, but then when they're chasing after somebody to go make a play, they run a 4-6 on the field. So – that's what he's he was waiting to you know make any judgments based on he wanted to see him in pads wanted to see them them get at it and he was super excited you know he was actually there before the the media call about five minutes early and he's like can we just go get started now Are you guys ready he's like oh we gotta wait for people okay that's fine I, I got it uh, but you could tell he was just super excited and amped up to to get today going and get rolling um, and, and I think that that energy that he brings and also Dante Williams Vic Soto those guys that are bringing on the defensive side, I think it's infectious for the entire team, um, and especially in a year when there's been so many, you know, trials and tribulations of just getting on the field. And, you know, this year when you're not going to have fans in the stands, though maybe we'll see some family that's, that's uh, you know, that's coming out a little bit with the Pac-12. But with no fans in the stand, it's going to be can you create your own energy on the sidelines? And I think these guys are going to help that defensive side of the ball, and I think that will translate the offensive side as well. Mm-hmm. Now, we also heard from Graham Harrell uh, on Tuesday. What did you guys hear from him that stood out to you guys? I know there's a lot of talk from him himself about year two, uh, what his system does in year two, and it seems like they're anticipating a jump. What exactly does that look like in your eyes? I've heard the year two jump so many times from everybody. It better be a jump. Like, if there's no jump, if it looks exactly the same, I'm like, what about this jump? A little Where's speed bump. It's like, yeah, a little speed bump. Like, everyone's talked about it. I mean, just how upbeat he was about the offensive line where we're all saying – that's the biggest question. He didn't seem to have a whole lot of concerns there. And the first thing he mentioned was Elijah Vera Tucker coming back. And I, I mean, it's almost like getting two positions back when you know he's there. Or, or I wouldn't say that. Losing Elijah Vera Tucker was kind of like replacing two positions. But getting him back, you're probably solidifying your left tackle spot. Uh, I mean, if you feel good with, uh, you know, Brett Nealon, who was, you know, I hate those, uh, whatever, the watch list awards, but he's a Remington, you know, center watch list guy. And I think Andrew Voorhees, uh, you know, you're going to have one of the guard spots and, and Jalen McKenzie, uh, you know, out at the at the right tackle spot. 
and maybe like a Justin Dietrich, I think you feel pretty good about those five guys, or maybe you know you you one or two guys kind of replace some of them. But I think they feel a lot better about the makeup of the offensive line with Elijah Vera Tucker there, sort of kind of holding down that that left tackle spot. So he seemed pretty optimistic about that. Uh, he loved what he has seen from you know Drake London and and what he could be able to do as far as like you know potentially have his hand on the ground and block some people. He's a big enough body that can do things like that. So yeah, he was pretty upbeat, but yeah, I want to see this two-year bump thing because I've, I've heard it so much. I'm like, all right, there'll be some kind of bump here because I was really impressed with what he did in year one. I don't know how much of a bigger bump you can get to year two. We'll see. Shadi, what, what is your thoughts about the bump first? And I know you have other thoughts as well. Well, I, I think looking at the bump, I, I think uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting to hear them talk about, you know, Keaton Slow was touching on this as well, is that you can do some different things now. Now that you got all the basics kind of down, because their offense is so simple, now you can add some wrinkles to it. And that's what it kind of sounded like, uh, that they would be able to play off of, of some things that they did in the past. Now they'll be able to implement them in a little bit different way to, to create some some variety to the offense that maybe uh, some of the defenses didn't see last year. So maybe that adds to it. I, I think that you're, you're looking – uh, for you know how good the offensive line plays as to, to how good this offense can take that jump. And Graham Harrell talked about how he thinks the offensive line can push the line forward, can you know move some men up front. And if that's the case, that changes a lot of things. You know, if they can run the ball, and he used the word efficiently when he talked about running the ball. If they can run the word ball efficiently, he didn't say run the ball well. He didn't say if we can run for 100 yards a game. He said if we can run it efficiently. I think that's the difference there is that means if if teams want to try to drop eight, if you put six yards up on them, you know, chunk that every single time they try to drop, then I think you're changing, you know, what defenses can do, and you can force them out of some defenses, which USC wasn't great at doing last year. Now they made some adjustments to the drop eight, and they were able to, to you know, to find ways to beat it. Uh, but you know, if you can run the ball at teams when you want to, that changes, you know, what you can do on offense. Definitely, it changes the whole dynamic for you. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing you and I talked about it on Instant Shotgun is the tight end role and what Drake London uh, kind of does in that space. You know, uh, Graham Harrell was asked about inside receivers and how the line is kind of blurred with inside receivers and tight ends. And so coming into year two, it's like, is he going to try and revert back to a more traditional tight end role? Where does Drake London fit into this? And he had glorious praise for Drake London. Uh, Harold seemed like kind of how he talked about Keen Slovis last, uh, the beginning of last fall camp. Lots of praise for Drake London. Shadi, how do you see Drake really, really fitting into this offense in year two? Yeah, he meant Graham Harrell mentioned the you know that the line has been blurred, especially in the NFL. When you see guys like Travis Kelsey, uh, you see those dynamic tight ends that are they're basically too big for a, a DB to cover and too fast for a linebacker to cover. And I think that's what he sees in Drake London. He, he says he's a matchup uh, nightmare for, for defenses, trying to figure it, figure out how to, to play him um, when he plays on the inside. Now, does USC keep him on the inside? They move him outside? I think some of that is going to be determined by how much – uh, McCoy develops how much you can use Gary Bryant where you're moving him around to because they did he did say they have been moving Gary Bryant around it or in, in these early practices he was also very effusive in his praise of Brew McCoy and, and talking about him so you know that leads me to believe that he thinks he's got some dynamic weapons that can do some different things and cause those nightmare matchups and then you have Tyler Vons and Amon Ross St. Brown who are just super consistent for you and Amon Ross St. Brown is just putting up ridiculous highlights that you know the, the few short clips we're seeing from practices 
Uh, you know, he's just burning DBs and some of USC's best DBs with his elite route running ability and ability to catch the ball. So I think that USC is going to have some weapons. And I think Graham Harrell seeing that, and I think that's one of the things he's looking at when he says that he sees a bump coming in the second year of this offense, not necessarily just that everyone's going to be so much better at the offense itself, but he's seeing, you know, the playmakers he's got. And if they each take a little incremental step, how much that's going to improve the offense as a whole. Well, I think the thing we forget about, and Ryan, you and I talked about this in our offensive preview, is that Keen Slovis wasn't deemed the starter last season. He had to learn on the fly as a true freshman that played in a high school that team that wasn't that good. So it was a, a big learning curve. I mean, how much do you think uh, Keen will have uh, more confidence under his belt now that he has more experience and, and another year under Graham Harrell? Yeah, I mean, I you have to be impressed what you saw from Keen Slovis last year because he was you know, thrown into things. And sometimes there's a, you know, in a really important role, uh, you know, I don't know, you get a job somewhere and all of a sudden, like, you know, the CEO, or maybe it's like you could look, watch like an old war movie if we're going to do something like that. Like, <laughs> okay. you're like the the private that did like did something really good. You got up to like corporal or something. I don't know all the ranks and everything. And, you know, you're in the, it's World War II, you're in the trenches and all of a sudden, like, you know, the sergeant gets killed and all these, you know, all these people in front of you and you're like, you're in charge. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this kid that was like, just out of uh, basic training is now running some regiment or whatever. And he's out there and doing a really good job, but you know, you're learning on the fly. You're probably not going to do everything exactly right, but you've got the leadership skills. You've got enough know-how that you can go through and figure out the problems as they go. There's not, it's not always going to go smoothly. Yeah. There's a great game plan, but you got to go through and kind of figure out on the fly and lead the people behind you. And I think that's what Keaton Slovis was able to do. Now he gets to go back, go to officer training school and figure, you know, figure everything out and go into it knowing he's going to be a leader going into that next battle. And I feel knowing that he has that knowledge behind him, he should be a lot more effective. And he was highly effective at what he was doing, but it was, it felt more gunslinger. Like he just was thrown out there and like had to do things, you know, he gets hurt for a little while and that might even been an opportunity to kind of, regroup after you know he hit with a concussion i believe it was and yep. comes out for a week or two and then is able to regroup and come back but now you've had all this time off and i feel like a better command of the offense a better understanding of the people that are around him and what he needs to do and i think this year especially it's a short season it's paramount that he remains healthy there's yes. probably not going to be a lot of opportunities for him to ever run and i, I mean you don't even want to see that you don't want to put him in harm's way at all because you got two scholarship quarterbacks yeah. and that's it. So I don't care about that first down. Just keep Keaton Slovis, you know, if I'm USC, number one priority is keep Keaton Slovis healthy. Otherwise, like, don't worry about getting that extra yard, get that, get out of bounds, slide, whatever you got to do, do not get hit. Yeah. And this was a shotgun. I know you want to jump in for one second, but last year we have done the tallies. A USC quarterback came out five times in 2019, and that was with an Austin Jackson, uh, a Drew Richmond, a, a Elijah Vera Tucker at guard, which is his at home position. You know, is there concern going into this next season where this is a less experienced offensive line? And like Ryan just said, you need to keep your quarterback healthy just because that depth is so shallow. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that the, that's a definitely a concern, keeping the quarterback. But I think year two for Keaton Slovis as well, that he learned when I need to get rid of the football, maybe throw it away, when to try to keep a play alive. You know, if it's third down in a critical situation, he's probably going to try to do that. But if it's first down, you're already, you know, at the 40-yard line or something – 
maybe not take that hit potentially and just get rid of it. And we'll live to yeah. play the next down. Now, maybe he's not setting the, you know, NCAA records or, you know, competing for the NCAA completion percentage title this season, but maybe that's better for USC in the long run because yeah. he's staying healthier and taking less hits. And also I think having an extra year of being in the weight, uh, weight program at USC to be able to add a little bit of strength, you know, from, you know, the neck muscles down uh, just so he can absorb the hits a little bit more. And he doesn't, you know, if he has improved his neck muscles in particular and the shoulder muscles, so he doesn't have that whiplash effect, which is where that concussion came from against Utah, you know, sling, slinging his head back and hitting the ground. So, you know, those things I think in year two are going to be only more beneficial for him as well. Um, so I, I think that it's not just him – you know, have he, I think he's going to be more confident in the offense, but I think he also knows when to do some certain things and when not to do some things that will only help him as well. I think there's a lot of things to be optimistic about with this offense. And, you know, I'm actually coming around a little bit on this offensive line, even though we haven't seen them. I'm getting for you. I, I mean, I, there's still going to be huge question marks, still going to be huge question marks, but I'm worrying a little bit less about it. One, because you get Elijah Vera Tucker back. I think that's sure. huge, obviously. Um, but, you know, with the positive re reports that Andrew Voorhees is moving around, that was a question mark coming yeah. in the spring. Yeah. Was he going to be healthy? He's got over 1,500 snaps in his career. I don't think people realize how much he's actually played. Yeah. Now, he's he struggled early in his career, but I think him come, sitting out last year and having to watch, I think he's going to come back with a re renewed vigor. Um, and the positive reports of Liam Douglas – I think that's just adding an extra piece to to the you know to the depth uh, portion there. Whereas uh, I was really worried that they were going to get five at one point. You know, I was worried about you know can you get five uh, guys out there that you can trust. Now it looks like maybe you're getting a seven and eight and and some positive reports from those freshmen. I'm not putting too much stock into the you know what Graham Harrell and what some of the guys are saying about the freshmen uh, already. But I think it they they have a chance to be a little bit further along than normal freshmen would be just because of the delayed season. You know, they were able to get in and be a part of the weight uh, program in the summer and now for a couple extra months than they would have normally been as a fall enrollee. So I, I think there's some positives there. You don't want one of those guys having to start. I, I think that's a bad sign for you. But, you know, if you have to throw them in in, a, in an injury situation with a sprained ankle or something, maybe you feel a little bit better about it. So I'm feeling a little bit better about the offensive line. Still not, still not going to the point where I feel confident in them, but yeah. a little bit better. That's some big optimism from you, though, yeah. Shotgun. We not had used a, to it. Hey, may, maybe it also is because I haven't seen them. You know, if I'd seen them, yeah. then maybe I have a different opinion. <laughs> but because we blind can't, optimism is what you're saying. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Okay, okay. Um, I think it was Ladera dude on uh, Periscope said line cook to head chef. So they, we we have a food analogy there. See, yeah, yeah. I like that. So you're thanks, rusty, Ryan. Thanks, Ladera dude. And Irish <laughs> Ice says, "Are you saying JT Daniels coming back?" Uh, no, he's at Georgia. So they only got two. They only have uh, two scholarship guys. So JT Daniels is gone. Also, you should point out, though, that they do have Mo Hassan, who is a former starter at, at Vanderbilt for a couple of games. So he has started games in the SEC. He's played in the SEC. He's a walk-on. He's going to be the third-string guy. No, you don't want to get to him, obviously. You don't want to get to Matt Fink if you don't have to um, because Keaton Slovis is an elite talent. But I think you feel a little bit better about that than, you know, the other the – Brad Aoki being the the third guy or, you know, whoever yeah, the, the third or fourth uh, – um, the backup kickers that was walk-on yeah. quarterbacks oh, are there. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, now, in the same vein, as far as USC's run game, what is your expectations, just given the fact that USC really had to sell out uh, to the air raid in the second half of the season just because there are so many injuries? It doesn't look like the group itself is 100% health-wise coming into this season, or at least coming into training camp. Are you? I feel like every offseason there's a renewed hope that USC's run game will be effective, especially when they need it to be. Uh, what are your expectations heading into 2020? See, I, I think there's going – if you look at the end of the game – I think you're going to see some pretty good rushing numbers for USC if, if the running backs stay healthy. The issue being, this is not a hard schedule right now. Looking at, and we'll talk about the talent stuff and which teams are left on USC's schedule. The ASU game is probably the toughest game right out of the gate. You know, on the road against Utah. But there's a lot of teams that I think this offense is going to put up a ton of points. So if Keaton Slovis comes out, what he, he threw for four touchdowns in the first quarter against Arizona State uh, last year, and then they kind of hung on to win. You do something like that this year. He throws for four touchdowns in the first quarter against Colorado. They're probably going to be running the football quite a bit. And at the end of the day, you might have like 220 yards rushing or something like that. I feel like there's enough. There's just a lot of soft spots on this really short schedule. You're probably going to have a really effective running game. Does that mean if they were playing Alabama and Notre Dame and Oregon and Washington that the, the running game would have been effective? I'm not sure yet. I just don't know. But the way the schedule is and the kind of talent USC has, I feel pretty confident they're going to be able to run the football, even if, you know, just if because you, you build a big lead with the passing game and you can run the ball later in the game. But I, I, th I don't think the schedule is difficult enough that you can say, oh, they're not going to be able to run the football this year. They, they have enough talent. They should be able to do that. I think they'll put up good yardage. The question's going to come down to those third ones. You know, can you pick up that yard when you know that they're, you know, they're probably going to be running the ball? Um, th those are the big question marks. Can you get a push up front? And Graham Harrell thinks they can. He thinks that they, the second year in the offensive line, and granted, they are all older offensive linemen, so they should be. You should be able to trust those guys to move guys forward a little bit. I mean, you look across the board, and it's basically you know, redshirt sophomore to to seniors on, on that line. So, you know, guys that are three to five years in the program. So I think you should be able to to take – to be able to move some guys up front and be able to, to pick up those yards and help the, the running backs. Because the running backs, that's one thing. Their yards after contact were all really good last year. They were good the year before. Aka Cedric Ware was great at it, one of the best in the Pac-12. However – there were way too many times when you're getting a two-yard game with four yards after contact. If you guys do the math, that's you're getting hit in the backfield. That's not good. <laughs> um, so I, I, that's going to be the question. If you can give those guys two yards and then get the four yards after contact, six-yard gains, that's a, that's a big, a huge difference. So I, I think that that's going to be the question for the, for the run game. Can you get a push and, and create something? And then do they add some wrinkles? Says so it took a little while for them to add some wrinkles um, to their, their run game where, you know, there were times when I would be like, that, they're running this way, they're running yeah, that way. Calling it on the sideline. <laughs> and now, I, you know, going back, sometimes they might have been trying to bait the other team into it. You saw I went back and watched our film study of the Notre Dame game and some of the things that Notre Dame was trying to, to do against USC. USC put in some, you know, some counters to what they normally do to try to, to trick up the defense a little bit. So maybe that played into it, or maybe that was just an in-game adjustment, and they should have been adjusting that a little bit earlier. That That's question mark for me a little bit. But if you can get the guys healthy, that's number one. Keely mentioned that top. We haven't really touched on it, but Vimal Pei, hamstring injury. He slowed. 
Marquis Step coming into camp still a little tentative on the on the foot that he injured last year, which that's you know it's basically twelve months ago, and he's still not fully fully cleared there. Um, and then Stephen Carr, it looked like they, they took him a little light the first couple of days from the pictures and a little bit of video that we saw. So don't can't really say that for for true. Um, um, and then Keenan Kristen, you know, is a smaller guy, so you don't want him having a too uh, an, an overburdened workload either. So you got to get those guys healthy. And I think if you do, you, you feel really confident in that stable. You got four guys that did, you know, that proved they can be the guy last year. You know, at different times. So uh, if if you can get healthy and you can move guys forward a little bit, the run game can be effective, and it should put up good yardage numbers at least. Just because, like Ryan said, the, the schedule is going to be pretty soft. Mm-hmm. Now, flipping back to the defense, just talking to uh, Todd Orlando, it was really interesting just his philosophy, and he was asked about you know every stop he's had as defensive coordinator that first year, uh, the defense sees a jump in productivity, and he, he was asked, well, why does that happen? And he said, it's not really necessarily scheme, it's just because there's a culture change, it's, it's internal. And so uh, I asked Shotgun about this, I'm going to go to you first, Ryan, what do you think that will do for this USC defense who has had years of Clancy Pendergast and probably just needs a change of pace to be? in with yeah sometimes you just need a change of scenery you need something different uh you know you can get in these ruts you get a certain way of doing things and i think that has been one of the issues we've seen with clay elton as the head coach is that sometimes you get complacent with what you have uh we talked about a number of times you know after the the 2017 season when usc won the pac-12 no coaching changes were made even though there were some pretty glaring problems, yeah, USC won the Pac-12, but didn't look good against Notre Dame, didn't look good against Ohio State. You can become kind of complacent. You get the players sort of get used to the way things are done. Uh, Clancy Pendergast has been around there for a while. He's been effective at times, not as effective at other times, but sometimes you just need something new. I think we've I've used this analogy before. Um, you know, I live in a, a complex and there's a bunch of units and we have gardeners that'll come and clean things up after like a year or two. It's sort of like, it's good in the beginning. And then it's just sort of like, ah, they're just not doing a really good job. You get a new gardener and everything's different. It's like, oh yeah, no, they've, they've cut this right. You know, the, you get the new, just something new and you get, it just changes things up a little bit. And I think you, when you go from where there was more of a sort of protection of the players, making sure guys aren't getting hurt, you know, there wasn't a priority on, the number one thing is we got to tackle, so we are ready to tackle in games. And I think with Todd Orlando, that's what his number one priority is. He doesn't care about all the other stuff. He wants to see you have pads, he has pads, run real fast at each other, and who goes down first. And I think that's just the kind of attitude he's bringing to it. And it's a different mentality, I think, for the players. And I get it. Wherever he's gone, maybe they weren't doing things that way. And that's why you see the kind of a quick turnaround. Now, you'll probably get used to that at some point, too. But... It is a very different sort of feel, at least from what we've heard from you know the defensive coaches of the past to the defensive coaches right now. And if we can feel that, I certainly think the players can feel that. So I get what he's saying. It's just changing the culture a little bit. And it's I think it's a good thing for USC. They want to get back to forget that the sanctions happen. Forget that you're trying to protect your roster. Go forward. Be a physical football team. Use the athletes, these four- and five-star guys, you got to run the defensive side of the ball. Let them run and hit people. And that's what you want to do. You're going to make plays on defense. You don't, everyone has to do everything right on defense. On offense, you kind of need, everyone's got to be on the right page. On defense, one guy just goes crazy and makes a big play. He might even be in the right place, but 
he's going you know a million miles an hour and he makes the play. I think you want to see a little bit more of that. And I think with Todd Orlando, that's the mentality he's instilling in the players. Shotgun, you know how fired up Todd Orlando was for today's full pads practice. Are you buying what he's selling? He says the right things, but, you know, there's always coach speak. Do you think it'll transfer? I, I think just the way you listen to the players talk about him and, you know, Elijah Griffin was on Trojans Live and, you know, he talked about how every time he talks to Orlando, he's learning something new. You know, with Dante Williams, same thing as far as, uh, you know, the defensive back play. So I think that the, when you hear the players talk about it, I think that they're buying in. And that's the big question, not whether, you know, the, the coach says the right things, but if, if the players are buying in, I think the energy that that entire defensive staff brings, I think is only going to elevate that defense. And then I think it's going to, you know, translate to the offensive side, because if the defense is bringing it every day and Orlando likes to mix up pressures and looks and Graham Harrell even talked about how he thinks that's going to help, uh, you know, help the offense line as they develop and try to mesh into a unit and also Keaton Slovis identifying things. If they're bringing it every day and they're hitting you in the mouth as an offensive line, when you're going to get mad, you want to want to go at them too. So I think it's only going to amp up the and the the productivity at practice and the energy level there, which is great for USC. So it's hard to say if it's happening or not since we can't actually see it, but it feels like from what people are saying that that's the case and not just what the coaches are saying, but also everyone around it. And I, I think that the, the reason why they've been able to make that big jump and what uh, Todd Orlando was trying to say that it's not so much that my scheme is great, but that you kind of change the culture in the locker room a little bit and you get guys that are willing to, you know, go full speed at all times rather than guys that are, you know, worried about pulling up or anything uh, when it plays away from them. So I, I think that's kind of the difference there. And I, I think that's part of it. And, you know, he even said, I think that you're not going to out scheme, uh, you're not going to fool everyone with your scheme. So you're going to need guys to kind of, you know, to go make plays and run through that wall for you. Yeah. Now, as far as personnel goes, the linebacker depth, is that a concern for you guys at all? Just because uh, we were expecting Jordan Isefa to be healthy, uh, to be a veteran guy uh, at that linebacker position, and now he's out with his third knee surgery in almost a year. And then you have Solomon Tuliolapupu, who finally got that foot uh, taken care of after two years, and now he's out with a knee injury. You could tell Clay Helton was just so heartbroken about that development. But those are two guys who you were hoping you could have in that in that depth chart. And now it looks like, and Todd Orlando said as much, you're going to really rely on Palaie, Nayotote, and then uh, Raylan Goforth and Kanai Malga. What are you two expecting from those three? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, you know, so it looks like a battle for Kanai Malga and uh, Raylan Goforth, and I think, you know, we've seen some really good things for both those guys. Palaie, I, I, he's pretty comfortable keeping him in the same spot, and we have to kind of see what that front seven is sort of looking like. We know, you know, Drake Jackson, there's going to be more of a, you know, he's, is, you know, considered that hybrid outside linebacker, but mostly he's going to be rushing the quarterback hand on the ground. He can drop back in the coverage if he needs to. So I'm, I'm curious to see. We still don't – we haven't really got to watch a whole lot of practices of what that front is going to look like and if they need more depth. But I, I feel like he's going to have a little bit more focus on the linebackers because he's a linebacker guy, right? He coach, He likes coaching the linebackers. And I don't know, it just always seemed to me like it was a forgotten group uh, for, for Clancy Pendergast. There was more focus on – uh, the secondary, the really than those linebacker spots. So depth, I think there's a bit of a concern there, but the guy, I think he feels pretty comfortable with those, at least those three kind of rotating around. Shotgun? I think it'll be interesting because linebacker has been a position, especially under Clancy Pendergast, where he got two guys in the middle and they stayed there basically the entire year. You know, a guy like Raylan Goforth, we, we saw some big plays from him early in camp last year. We expected, 
that's a guy that's going to get in the mix. I didn't even heard from a couple of the coaches that were really impressed by him. I'm like, oh, this guy's going to you know work his way in, and maybe he'll get a couple series a game type of thing. Never happened. Never happened. You know that, and that's been the case. You know throughout. You know besides Pali and Itiote, who was basically the the number one defensive player in the country, you haven't really seen young guys get in there and get some experience. You didn't see a guy like Levi Jones or you know any of these high profile linebackers that USC's got in the past. Um, so I think this year maybe you'll see a little bit more rotation. And a guy like you know Ryan, you talked about. Uh, Tar Orlando kind of wants guys to just you know fly to the ball, and if you you get out of your lane, out of your assignment, some uh, you know every once in a while, but you're making plays. That's Pali and Itiote. You know <laughs> he's a guy that just you look back at the hit he put on Lavisca Chenault and knocked out both of them. He flies around the ball. You want him to be doing that. You want him to be going downhill. You know, you want him to be attacking. And that's one of the reasons why Dan Weber last year was championing for him to, to be the guy coming off the edge, you know, and, and be a down lineman as a defensive end potentially because he's so much better when he's attacking instead of trying to read and react everything. And I think that's the next step in this defense is they, they feel like they – Orlando said they feel like they have 95% of it installed. But now when you put on the pads, can you get out of the hesitation – uh, of making sure you're doing the right thing and instead just going and doing it. And he told them, he said, I want you guys to fail. At practice, this is practice. Go fail and fail big. Go after it and go try to make a big play and then learn from it. If you don't make that play, okay, what do I need to do differently or what What are my limitations? You need to know those things going in uh, to a game. And when you don't ever go full speed like in the past, it's hard to know that. It's hard yeah. to know, okay, I can pick off that pass. Okay, no, I can't. That's going to be a touchdown if I try to make that play. So those are the type of things where when you're going 70%, I mean 70% uh, of your, your full speed, those are things that you can miss out on. So uh, I think that if they are going full speed, and again, we're going to try to get as many reports as we can, you know, both on and off the record from sources uh, as we go through camp until uh, hopefully we're able to see some of camp ourselves. Um, but, you know, we're going to try to find out as much as we can. But that's what you're hoping to see in these practices. And that's what, you know, it sounds like they're going to do. We'll see if that's actually the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I did love that. They, they just go fail and practice. Go yeah. fast, go hard. Do, you know, do whatever you need to do. Go out there and just go like a, a bat out of hell. And then if it's right, that's great. If it's not, I mean, you still might do something good. You still might disrupt the play. So I love that. And I think if you practice like that, you can play like that. Yeah, and I'm figuring out on Saturdays, which it kind of felt like USC was doing at yeah. times. So I mean, it's, especially when we learn to tackle at games, like no, yeah. yep, exactly. <laughs> especially early in the season. Hey, you don't have that opportunity to wait to or, you know a couple games in. Your hardest game on the what is scheduled so far is Arizona State to open the season, and they've got some dynamic players there, and especially at quarterback. If yep. you don't tackle Jaden Daniels, he's going to create. He's going to, uh, you know, lengthen out a play and then create some big plays out of it if you don't tackle him in the backfield. Yep. Now, as far as Drake Jackson goes, uh, Todd Orlando was asked about that today. Uh, he's listed in the media guide as an outside linebacker, and he's dropped some weight, so the eyebrows were raised. And Todd Orlando said that that's a projection. Uh, it's a hybrid role. Uh, basically, he can attack the quarterback but also drop into coverage. But he said the caveat is that if there's an elite pass rusher, of course you're going to want that guy going at the quarterback more so than dropping into coverage. But I, I posed this question to Shotgun, and I'm going to pose it to you, Ryan. If Drake Jackson is out for an extended period of time in fall camp, which he's expected to be with that hamstring injury, are you throwing Drake Jackson kind of into the mix closer to game time? How are you figuring out, figuring out his role in this defense when uh, he's not 
I think it's one of those things where, if we get a food analogy, it's sort of like you you know, every watch chopped, and then there's like you know you have a basket, and there's all this other stuff in there, and yeah, you have like an idea for what you want to do with those first three weird ingredients. You got like rutabaga and uh, you know whatever, like some salmon stuff, but there's there's like a a ragu like ribeye like like there's this awesome steak like that's what you're gonna base your whole dinner around like it's like that last ingredient you're gonna pull out like whatever the other ones are they're gonna fit into what this last ingredient this ingredient is so good this is what we're going to use he's that ingredient like he's gonna be the one that you want to focus everything around that even if you've made some other dish you've made like sushi on this side but you still got this beef like well we're gonna serve sushi with this great steak because it's so great so whatever you got to do Put him in there and go Go after the quarterback. And I think he fits that mold that Todd Orlando wants. You're going to put him into the game, and no matter what it is going on behind him, he has his hand on the ground. I don't care if he's 245 pounds or 275 pounds, whether, you know, what he was last year or this year. Go get the quarterback. And I think he's going to be such a disruptor that it's not going to matter if he misses a couple of weeks of fall practice. So I am. that's one dude that you're not going to have to worry about. He's the, he's the star ingredient. He's the one that you're going to want to disrupt uh, an offense. You want to make a quarterback uncomfortable. You want to put pressure on an offensive scheme. And I think he's a guy that can do that. So not someone I would be concerned about, even, you know, even if he misses most of fall camp. That was, that was, that was a parabola of a, of an analogy there. I didn't know where it was going. It was like it was leaving the park and then suddenly it came back down. <laughs> you landed that one. You landed that one. Okay. That was good. Uh, <laughs> With Drake Jackson, uh, you know, he's lost 30 pounds. You know, yeah, wow. it's not it's not an insignificant amount of weight that he's lost. Different body type right now, and they wanted to play that hybrid position. But I think – I talked about this on this analysis. I think it's going to be like poor Augustine. It's going to be like Uchenna Nwosu, where they are outside linebackers, and both – you know, and Uchenna Nwosu is still playing this position in the NFL, but you're going to be rushing the passer 98% of the time. Now, with Drake Jackson, I think you like his coverage skills better than either Porter Gustin or Uchenna Nwosu. He's got great hands. We saw that in the spring showcase last year when, you know, he had the interception. Um, I, I think he can do some unique things with just the athlete that he is. And I think they're going to design some things around him. And I, I think that's what Ryan's analogy finally brought it back to, is that you're going to design the rest of that plate around that, that nice steak. And I think that's what Drake Jackson is going to do. It, is going to do. Now, if he's getting – you know, getting some rush on the passer, then, you know, teams are suddenly going to have to double team him. They're going to move to tight end over to chip. And when you do that, that's when you drop him back in coverage You bring a blitz on the other side. They're weak. That's when you attack and you get some pressure from the other side as well and potentially, you know, force a quarterback into some, some errant throws they don't want to make. So I, I think that if he gets healthy first, and that's, again, that's a question we ask way too much with USC, mm -hmm. if he gets healthy, He's got a hamstring issue, issue right now. They're going to bring him along slowly, so I expect him not to really do anything for at least two weeks. They want to make sure he's ready for the beginning of the season. But then they need, to, they need to get him back at least for a week of full speed action so they can see what he can actually do because, you know, it's a new, new system for him, new player for Todd Orlando. He's got to see in action what, what the player can do himself. Mm -hmm. 
One last question, then I'm probably going to dive into questions. Uh, we did get to talk to Brandon Peely and Marlon Tuipolotu this morning, and they were asked about their good buddy, uh, Jay Tufele, who decided to opt out and leave for the NFL. That's a big loss. That's how they described it. It was a big loss for USC's defensive front. How do you make up a guy like Jay Tufele? I know Brandon Peely said that the burden is on him, and Brandon Peely is someone who I think USC has always seen the potential and, and hasn't really gotten 100% from him yet. Do you think this is the year that we'll see Brandon Brandon Peely really reach his full potential? I think you're going to have to. I think, you know, you had those three guys, three big guys that you felt comfortable with, and Jay Tufele was, you know, the most prominent of all of them, and I think the most effective. Uh, it was all, you know, he could stuff the middle, but he would also, you know, put some uh, numbers up in the stat sheet. And I think both of those guys are going to have to step up and, uh, and bring a little bit more to the table. And, they're, you know, it's a good friend of all of them. I think it was a close room. I asked Marlon about, you know, what practice was like. And, you know, it wasn't all that different, but – I feel like there, there's a big opportunity here for them, but you sort of had, there was like a safety net. You know, like they could go in there and try to make a play, but if they didn't, like the, Jay was always there and he could kind of fix things. Well, that guy's gone. The, guy, the fixer is now no longer there. You're going to be, you know, there's a lot more on your shoulders. Uh, we haven't seen, you know, yet at least some of the more interior defensive linemen, you know, some of those younger guys step up. It's going to be these, these veterans that uh, this Todd Orlando front's going to rely on. So I think both of them are going to have to play a lot better. Uh, you know, you want them to stay healthy. I know Brandon Peely had some kind of stomach issue early on uh, in camp, but they had him at the Zoom call this morning, so I assume he's fine now. But yeah, we, you, they both need to, to kind of step up. And you want to see them get similar stat lines than what we were seeing with Jay Tefeli. Like, or is it, you know, do you block a, uh, a field goal? Do you, you know, recover a fumble and return it for a touchdown? Do you get those plays every once in a while that like, yo, that's a real big, you know, playmaker like we saw with Jay Tefele. Yeah. Yeah. Marlins had a couple of those really impact plays where, you know, chasing down plays to the outside and knocking a fumble out uh, early in one game last year. So we've seen it from him. He's been a consistent force. I think he's going to be even, you know, he's going to be one of the biggest gainers from this being a shorter season because we've actually seen him decline in the second half of the season the last two years. So with a shorter season, maybe he stays fresher for longer in the season. And, you know, we see those impact plays he was making a lot early in the season last year. We see those throughout the entirety of the year this year. But it, they're going to have to they're going to have to replace Jay Tefele collectively. That's the same thing that Todd Orlando said. Um, you know, because one for defensive tackles, they're not playing 70 snaps a play. They're not in every snap. So you need guys that are going to be rotating. But it's going to be on Brandon Peely. He's the main guy that needs to step up. And normally I would say he's definitely going to step up this year because he's a senior and, you know, this is the money year. He's got to go, you know, show NFL scouts. But he gets extra year eligibility, so that brings that back that uh, point of conversation just a bit. But I, I think this is a great opportunity for him. He's got unique athleticism for a guy as big as him, but he needs to be consistent. He's shown that he can get to the passer. Can you do it consistently? He's shown he can be this big run stopper in the middle and just be a tank that nobody can move. Do it consistently. That's going to be the, the task for him this year. And if he does that, then now you can rotate those other guys in. And if you get some guys stepping up a little bit there as well, then you replace J.T. Philly. I think it's going to be a big loss, though, that you lose Jacob Lichtenstein, especially because they want to have three down linemen across the front. And he's a guy that two years ago was making plays at the end of the season for them. He opts out as well as the off, on the offensive side, offensive lineman Frank Martin and Bernard Shermer. So some, some depth hits on both the lines a little bit there. Yeah. Um, so that means somebody like – Caleb Tremblay, you know, Nick Figueroa, yep. 
Connor Murphy. Connor Murphy is a guy that I think can step up as well. You know, a new defensive system, new coach to, to, to be under the tutelage of. You know, we've seen a couple times he's shown some flashes. He's gotten some starts in the past. Can he step up and, and maybe take over a role? Mm-hmm. We'll see. We shall see indeed. I'm going to jump into questions. I'll probably circle back to any uh, final thoughts or things that stood out to you this week that we can circle back to. But first off, we have a couple of Brew McCoy questions. Uh, Francisco says, is Brew McCoy playing this season? And John Laub says, do uh, do you guys think we could see Brew on defense or special teams this year? Uh, maybe special teams, but yeah, he's definitely going to play. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, Graham Harrell had a you know, high praise for him. I don't think they're going to use him on the defensive side of the ball. There's just not enough wide receivers right now. So uh, a couple guys get hurt. They only got eight guys on scholarship uh, from our count. So I don't think you're going to see him on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, but I want it to happen so bad. You do. (laughs) I mean, it's not like I would love it, but I just, I mean, if they had like 12 wide receivers on scholarship, that's one thing. They got eight right now. So. But how many elite pass rushers do they have on the other side? So maybe there's still a possibility, especially with Drake Drake Jackson being injured. You know, maybe you see something up. Don't don't rule it out just yet. New coaching right. staff. You never know. If I I'm Todd Orlando on the field first. Yeah. True, but with Todd Orlando having worked with him previously at Texas, I think that also could play into it as well. Yeah, we just haven't even seen him, and people want to see him on the other side of the ball. Like, let's see him as receiver for a little while yeah. first. Let's get a little. Hey, real little, quick, little Keith, yes. met, we mentioned the uh, the talent. Um, the, I want to oh, go, go over yes, that real did. quick. Go for it. So, two four seven sports came out with the twenty twenty team talent composite, and what that is is every year it's a collection of everyone that you know, everyone that was recruited on your roster. Say you brought in like the number one recruiting class, but half of them left. Well, the talent, the team talent composite doesn't count the guys that are gone. It's only the guys that are currently on your roster. Say a five-star transfers in, like JT Daniels did to Georgia. He counts for them for Georgia. It doesn't count for USC anymore. And they started this in 2015. USC was number two in the country, then like number three. I think number two twice, like number three, number four a couple of times. Uh, the la- last year was still number four, but that. You know, the, the number 20 recruiting class uh, from 2019 hurt them. And then the 2020 class that was uh, number 64 certainly hurt USC a little bit. They dropped down to number 10. So this is the worst team talent com- uh, composite rankings that we've seen for USC. But still first in the Pac-12. Oregon's catching up. They're number 12 right now. And they're actually probably not even that high because their roster still includes some of the opt-outs. Um, this uses like the official rosters from every school. Some schools haven't taken out the players that have opted out for the NFL off their roster. Like USC took out Jay Tefele, so he doesn't count. But Penny Sewell is still counting for Oregon. So they might not be high as number 12. But um, the point is, USC is still the most talented as far as like the guys they brought in from the recruiting class in the conference. And, you know, the next three teams, they don't even play this year. Oregon, Washington, and then Stanford. Uh, Arizona State's considered number five on the uh, team to com- you know, composite. UCLA's six, which seems a little high. The Utah's seven. Uh, Colorado's eight. Cal's nine. That's going to be underrated. And then Oregon State, Washington State, and Arizona. So uh, USC's playing you know, the two worst teams as far as talent goes uh, on their schedule. But that's just kind of that came out. I put up a story on uscfootball.com if you want to read a little bit uh, more about it. But if you're wondering who has the most Recruiting talent uh, in the conference, it is still USC. Good to know. Thanks, Ryan, for the update there. Uh, Adrian on Facebook said, is Drake Jackson's hamstring injury serious? Shadi, do you have an idea about this? 
I mean, it's serious enough that he's probably going to be out half their training camp. I mean, if he misses two weeks, I think that's something that, that is concerning enough there. Um, and hamstring issues are always, you know, a tricky thing, yeah. you know, because you think you've got it fixed and then you, you try to sprint one time and suddenly you, you tweak it once mm-hmm. more yep. and it can become a lingering thing. So a little bit of concern there definitely uh, for him and Vi. And also, Brew McCoy is coming off a hamstring injury. And it's interesting that you have three of the same injury. Um, you know, that's something you got to look at as, as a strength and conditioning staff and a training staff. And that's something that actually happened in the beginning of training camp for USC in 2018. That's something that plagued uh, Cam Smith the whole season long, uh, a couple other guys too. So to me, it just jogs memory. And it's like, this is something that seems minor in the beginning, but keep an eye out because it could just linger, like Shotgun said. Um, uh, I got one on Periscope for sure, Shotgun for from AJ, AJG2114. Shotgun, have you seen to a CV uh, Nomura high school film? That guy's a dude. Uh, the question with to a CV Nomura is where do you play him? And and maybe in this defense, you know, there's a position that fits him a little bit better than they had in the, in the previous defense because he didn't really fit at safety, didn't really fit at inside linebacker where they they, they could have lined him up. Um, so where where does he play in this defense? That'll be a question. I think he's a guy that is going to be a killer on special teams. You know, he's going to be on almost every special teams unit probably. He's a guy that you could do some versatile things with because he's a little bit of a tweener. So he's a guy to to, to watch for making some plays on special teams, and then. Do you find a position where he, he kind of fits? You know, does he become a safety in a Troy Palomalu, you know, mold where he's up in the box a lot and doing some different things there? Can he cover enough to be a safety, or does he have to bulk up and try to be a linebacker? Those are kind of the questions you're looking at with Tua CB. Is he in the Raymond Scott no man's land? Would you go as far to say that? A little bit. And and the thing with Raymond Scott in particular is I saw more of him than Tua CB, so I say this about Raymond Scott is that. He always made plays in high school. He was he was a tackling machine. He, you know, he's not the ideal height, not the ideal you know uh, shape that you want. You know that Clancy Pendergrass was looking for from his linebackers, but he's, he always had eight to ten tackles every single game for Narbonne that I that I saw him play. And so maybe he and Tua Sevier are kind of in that similar mold where you got to have guys that are just playmakers. That's the you know you look at the Matt Gruda goods of yonder years for USC. Uh, you got to have the guys that. You know, maybe don't fit the mold that you're looking for for an NFL first-round draft pick, but this guy just makes plays, and those are the ones you, that you need on, on game days. Like a Max Williams, I think he's kind yeah. of one of those mm-hmm. Yep. Yonder years, Shotgun. Always funny when you say that. Yonder. <laughs> we have an interesting question from Bo- Bobby on Facebook who says, what's one thing you want to remind fans about the 2020 team that they might have forgotten with the long layoff? My answer's simple, but I don't see if you guys – my answer's simple, Brew McCoy. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have forgotten about Brew McCoy, but he's going to be really, really good. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's good. I th- it's like, I don't know. Like, what do you? Hmm. I mean, I think there's so many people that are focused on who oh, Clay Hilton's still the head coach. It doesn't matter. Everything. It's their Eeyores out there. Like, everything's terrible. <laughs> the word. Okay. And, I, and you can take this a couple different ways. The best teams on the schedule are no longer there. That's gone. USC's offense is going to be really good. I have a feeling the defense is going to be really good. This team could easily be 6-0. I mean, I would say they should be 6-0. They have the most talent. They play the toughest team they're going to face at home. They should be 6-0. Like, there's no reason they should lose any games in that first part of the schedule. So, yeah, I mean, don't forget that. Like, it's still a talented team. I get it. Many of you do not like who the head coach is, but 
They hired some really good assistants on the defensive side of the ball. We know Graham Harrell's really good at what he does. I think Sean Snyder's going to make special teams a lot better. I just think they're going to be better, and I think they're going to go undefeated. That's what you want to remind? I want to remind people of that, because uh-huh. some people are just like, it's Clay Hilton, the, the team's going to be terrible. I'm like, even if the team was like mediocre, they could still run the table. Like that's how it's just not that tough a schedule. Yeah. You know? I, I think what Ryan wants to remind people is that there's still a ton of talent on this roster yes. that yes. people may have forgotten about. And this may be the year they have to capitalize on it, depending on what happens with guys deciding, you know, whether they want to be done or use that extra year of eligibility because you got guys like Talanoa and Elijah Griffin and Isaiah Pulmao and Marlon and, and Brandon. There's a lot of older guys, particularly on that defensive side, that could decide that you know they're ready to take that next step after the season, especially if they have a good year. Yeah. That had a potential to be Ryan Rand, but then it, it kind of just went back down. Sorry. It was it was close. It's okay. You can get <laughs> you're not in mid season form. We we understand. USC fan one on Periscope since I made the prediction. What's your prediction for USC's record this year? I think they should be six and I'm gonna say five and one because I think I'm just USC. You can't have they should be six and oh. <laughs> they should be six and oh, but I'm gonna say they'll be like if I predict what's gonna happen, I'm gonna say five and one. But they should be six and up. Okay. Shoddy, what's your prediction? I haven't seen a single practice, so <laughs> it's hard to say. Who cares? It's just like, you know. I don't even know where exactly everyone is lining up on defense, so and I'm not yet, making any predictions so yet. optimistic about the offensive line out of nowhere, so yeah. you got to choose one strategy. I'm feeling better about the offensive line. <laughs> Keely, okay. what, do you, what do you think, Keely? Uh, their, their record? Yeah. I'm going to pull Ryan and say they should be 6-0. and I think they're going to go 5-1. and Yeah, I think that's probably safe. Either ASU or Utah. It's going to be really hard to lose more than two games. Like, you could see an ASU and a Utah loss. I could not see, like, losing to Arizona. If everyone's healthy, I think that's the Yeah, the I mean, if you got, like, some whole thing, yeah. We, this, we have an important special teams question from Irish Ice. Any word on kicking depth? Who looks good early on? Irish Ice, we can't watch. And uh, we, we're really going to be wary about talking about kickers and punters because of last year. So uh, <laughs> I learned my lesson. But guys. they got they got 12 guys on scholarship that are kickers. Now, there's there's five special team players still on scholarship. So I think they're going to be OK. Um, I want to move on to Harold's question, who says, is this offense the Kansas City Chiefs of college football? I feel like that's high praise. They just won the Super Bowl. So, yeah. Chaga. No. <laughs> No, they're not. They're not the same as the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> However, uh, I think that that's you know what you would want to emulate, obviously. And I, I hope my Atlanta Falcons get Eric Bieniemy as their next, next head coach. Just throwing that in there. Um, but I, I think that you see some positives and some similarities with the type of playmakers USC has. You know, they've gotten adding a guy like Gary Bryant. You know, who's a speedster can be like a Miko Hardman. Um, you know, a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, who's just so, so tough to defend. You know, I think there's some similarities there. And if you can get the running game going, I think that's something that people forget about this Kansas City Chiefs offense is that when the run game's going and Clyde Hilaire Edwards is really added to that, then it makes them that much more difficult because then they throw all the random things at you with tight end screens with Kelsey and, you know, pitches, underhand pitches to the fullback and all kinds of the strange things like that. Um, but it, it starts with the run game a lot more than people realize. Mm-hmm. I would say maybe more like the Buffalo Bills. Like you got Josh Allen coming in and like, they're, you know, it's a, it's a fun, young offense. Um, yeah, I would say it's more kind of like that. It's not, you know, they we saw them, if you watched the, the Tuesday night game, didn't do so well, but they're going to have some hiccups, but they've, they're going to put up some points too. Shogun, you want, you look like you're going to add a snarky comment. That's fine. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> Troy says, USC and ASU seem to be the favorites in the South. Who has the edge, in your opinion, between uh, quarterback Keen Slovis and Jane Daniels? Keaton Slovis, uh, I'm going with Slovis uh, because he's the guy that put up a little bit better numbers last year. Now, both guys, you got injury concerns. They both were knocked out of some games last year. I do think that Jaden Daniels may have a little bit of an advantage this offseason because he's been able to practice more than Keaton Slovis. Yeah, I agree there. They bring uh, Zach uh, Hill in from uh, Boise State. So he's got a new offense to run where Keaton Slovis is running the same one. Um, yeah, I'm going to give the edge to uh, – Keaton Slovis, but don't you know? Don't sleep on uh, ASU. I like this coaching staff they put together. They got Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce uh, running the defense, and uh, I think you know, coming in from Boise State, Zach Hill is going to do a, a nice job there. But they've got to do a lot of the kind of Clay Hilton loved the OTAs, the the two weeks prior yeah. to uh, when fall camp started, where you could do a lot of this eleven on eleven stuff and. Uh, ASU was able to do that pretty much all summer. So they kind of had like a whole summer of OTAs. They got, I think they got a lot done. And I don't think you can underestimate that impact. And at least will mitigate some of the risk of having new coordinators on both sides of the ball. Where USC had it on just one side, ASU had it on two. Um, so I think Jaden Daniels is going to be pretty ready uh, to go. But I would still give the, uh, the edge to Keaton. Mm -hmm. Tony says, Keely, who's your surprise player this year? Is it cheating if I say Gary Bryan Jr.? Because that doesn't really seem like it will be a surprise. But can I say that? I'm yeah, of course that. you can say that. That's, okay. that's a surprise. Sure. Gary Bryan Jr. If not on wide receivers, definitely on uh, as a wide receiver, definitely on special teams. So look out for him. That's something that I wish we could see is seeing how the new guys kind of progress in that sense. Because we didn't even get to see it in spring. So It, always, it is neat. Like one of those drills. Because we don't get to watch a lot. Usually they're doing things f as far away as possible. But we could watch like when they're doing the kick returns and the punt returns. And, you know, there's not always. It might just be against air. But sometimes you look at a guy like, whoa, that guy looks like he, you know, he was catching the ball well. Or he was, yeah. you know, he had some good, some, you know, good jitterbugs when he came out of the breaks or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah. like, he looks like he would be a, a good returner. Uh, that was always fun to watch. You'd see the freshman come through. And they might stand out a little bit. And you're like, oh, you got, that's the guy to watch. Uh, he might be able to make some plays on special teams. Mm -hmm. Francisco says, jumping into recruiting, uh, what will make Corey Foreman commit to USC? I think you're, you know, you obviously wins and losses is going to play into that. You know, he wants to see, go to a team that's winning. Um, that's why Georgia's another team in that mix. LSU, who's coming off a national championship, is a team he's looking at. Um, so if USC is showing growth, you know, I think that's a big part of it. So wins and losses play into that for USC because they've struggled the last two years to, to put up the numbers that they should be. And then are you seeing improvement on the defensive line? Are the defensive linemen getting better? Are they progressing? Are they getting, you know, are they turning into NFL caliber players? So if, if Vic Soto is showing that, you know, a guy like Marlon Tuipolotu and, and, you know, Brandon Peely, if they take a big jump forward, I think that's positive when you're looking at recruiting the defensive linemen, Corey Foreman, as well as JT Tuamola up in Washington as well. We had a couple um, surprise player nominations, Hunter Eccles and Abdul Malik McClain. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that would kind of surprise. Those are guys that we saw um, do some things. I mean, Abdul Malik McLean, his health is definitely something to, to watch out for because when he was healthy for the various spurts, uh, he did make plays there. So, Keely, is there an, anyone that would surprise you? Because you, you've tried to nix both of the surprise – I mean, all three people that have been potential surprise players. Well, okay, Gary Bryant, I think, is a legitimate <laughs> surprise, but he's – And you also still try to hedge it. You're like, wait, does that even count? No, no, no. 
no, I, I was just saying like definition of surprise because we talk about it. It's like an anticipated surprise. So is it a surprise? You know what I mean? <laughs> we talk. Like, we have to talk about everybody. So it's gonna be hard to, for anyone to be a surprise. Okay, I have guess. To, have to be like Mo Hassan will be like a surprise. Yeah, that's surprise. a true surprise. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. We had uh, I, this is for anybody. Which two gets the nod? He said nod, but I think he meant nod. <laughs> Uh, Elijah Griffin, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, or uh, Chris Steele? I would say OG and Chris Steele. Shoddy? I mean, OG's got one of the spots locked up, pretty much. I mean, he was USC's best pass defender last year. He's their most experienced guy uh, in that group because Isaac Taylor Stewart's been injured both the last two seasons, finished last season injured. So, you know, he's going to lock up one of them. Now the other spot's up. And I think all three of those guys will play. And I'm hoping that's the case, that you see a little more rotation with – some some spots where there are close competitions, you know, rather than it be like, well, he, he, he beat you out, so you don't ever get to play, rather than saying, hey, we got two talented guys, we're going to get you in there some too. Mm -hmm. We have a true surprise uh, from uh, Fowler Mario. Raymond Scott will be a surprise. True. That, that's that would a be a surprise. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those guys who are like, oh, he looks good, but we never see him, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, guys like that, that would be a surprise. Granted, without seeing practice, anyone could be a surprise, yeah. really. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> the annoying thing. We don't have any context here. Yeah. Um, Mike says, which freshman players do you think will get substantial playing time? I think I Gary mean, Bryant Jr. No. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at – if you're expanding this into guys that were already on the roster, then a guy like Brew McCoy, of course. But uh, other than Gary Bryant, you're really going – I don't know who's going to play this first year. Offensive line, you might look at it and say, hey, maybe Cortland Ford, maybe John Monheim, but you've got a lot of experienced guys in front of them that they're going to have to beat out. So, you know, even it just doesn't seem like those guys are necessarily going to get those opportunities. Maybe Jamar Sakona on the defensive side, just because with Jake Tefele and Jacob Lichtenstein both being out as interior linemen, but he would still have to jump over guys like uh, like Stanley Tafu and uh, and Trevor Trout in front of him, Dejan Bitten. So there's some people in front of him as well. So that freshman group that they brought in, not many superstars there, uh, you know, and immediate impact superstars like Gary Bryant is. So you don't have the same group that you brought in the year before with like Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford and Chris Steele. Yeah. Uh, Ladera dude wants to go Lane Kiffin and says, given the offensive talent, I think we should go for two after touchdowns. Thought. Just always go for two. Never kick extra points. I mean, I'm okay with the philosophy if you're going to live by it and stick to it. And if you can do That'd be it. That'd kind of fun, yeah. Um, but it does seem a little Lane Kiffin-y, you know. So. <laughs> Lane Kiffin and John Baxter combined is doing the swinging gate and then trying to go for two by yeah. using the swing gate with your, you know, with your holder tossing the ball out to a tight end. That's, or you're that's like not quarterback where to punter number or whatever. Like there's just stupid stuff. <laughs> yeah. I would much rather just go, you know what? We're just going to go for two all the time. Like Oregon was doing that for a while, which is fine. You know, like I like it. If the offense is that good, just like, all right, stop us. We're going to. Oregon was also because their kicker was that bad, wasn't it? It might've been part of it. But like if you get, I mean, if the math works out, right. If you can, you can execute better than 50%, you're probably, you're better off uh, going for two all the time. Cause you're going to get a little bit extra than you would if you just kick an extra point all the time. And you're actually seeing that a little bit more in, in, in college football and NFL, you know, the analytics are starting to, to filter down to football as well that you've seen kind of take over in some other sports. Um, and you're seeing teams go for fourth downs a lot more often. You're seeing teams potentially go for two a lot earlier in games, and people are freaking out. Why would you go for two in the third quarter when you're dead? Like, why not? Yeah, we got there confidence. Was, there was one NFL game where they had like the tackle eligible thing. I forget which game it was. It was the Chiefs. 
Was it the Chief game? Yeah. yeah. Then they throws it, you know, sideways. It was like that was kind of cool, you know, like you, the big guy touch, you know, big guy two point conversion and stuff. Yeah, we, we love. Big I think man that, I think they convert in the like forties. Like I don't think they can. I, I don't know. I, I would have to see what the averages are. But if you can get close to fifty percent or a little bit more, and if the offense is that good, and it's not that great of a schedule, that might be just a fun thing to do. Like, yep, we're gonna go for two every time. Chase McGrath might not be too happy about it, but you know, whatever. It's like, <laughs> I think you have a. I don't think you're going to have the situation where you don't have confidence in the kicker. When you have Chase McGrath and yeah. you know they have a lot of confidence in Parker Lewis coming in as well, and then having Michael sure. Brown still in the roster. So, yeah. All right, gentlemen, I'm pushing us into rapid fire. Yeah, let's, no more wait, two clinkers. Wait, sorry, sorry, yeah. We you got that. you got three kickers on scholarship. You better be kicking the extra point. That's true. That's <laughs> very not a lot to do. True. Yeah, we can wrap things up if we got a few more or whatever. You yeah, want we have, to do. we're going into rapid fire, Mister okay. Abraham. Uh, first off, Ryan. Uh, the people on Facebook say that you need to eat before the show so you can tone down your food analogies and be oh, less hungry, I, you know, I projecting. Did, I did eat right before the he show. He did. I can confirm he, that he did. Uh, Tom wants to know, how about special teams? What's happening there? We actually haven't heard from Sean Snyder yet. So he's the one coordinator we have not heard from yet. Yeah, he did like a Trojans Live, I think, segment and stuff. And mm -hmm. I had him on our, our like lunch with a Trojan show. And he was great. I mean, it was just a breath of, of fresh air. Hearing him, and you know, I've been very critical of special teams over the years. I, I, I'm pretty confident things are going to go uh, well. I just like his philosophies. Uh, I feel like they're going to be in pretty good hands. But we haven't got to see anything. We haven't got to talk to him yet. I don't think we will get to until next week. Interesting, Shadi. Any thoughts on special teams? I, I think they'll be improved, and I think when you add a guy like uh, Gary Bryant back there as a legit returner, then I think that uh, you know, with Snyder's track record, you might see some special plays this year. Mm-hmm. In, in a good special in a good way <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think it's the same category as clancy pendergrass i think just a change will help that unit um so much ryan sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no 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 uh any word on stadium capacity from irish ice yeah it's uh it's zero well actually they just passed um Still. said that uh parents and you know family members can go depending on local health yeah uh you know restrictions which still, still zero. doesn't look good yeah <laughs> But it's but zero is the stadium capacity. But uh, this this is again a, a time when USC kind of pushes the envelope. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Liam Douglas's mother started a petition online. He's gotten over a couple thousand maybe signatures. Uh, you know, at least over a thousand to ask for Pac-12 parents to be able to go. And now you you hear about two days later or a day later, Pac-12 says, "Yeah, you you guys can do it if the local government says it's okay. We don't want to be the bad guy." Yeah, they said they voted that on that on the on September twenty fourth, and it was like we're releasing it on October fourteenth. It was uh, question that mark make much sense, question yeah. mark. Um, it, it doesn't surprise you though if it's true because it's the Pac twelve. <laughs> Rapid fire, Mister Gunn. Uh, Brandon says, does Helton get a pass if USC loses more than one game to the COVID uh, to the COVID mini season, or should he be gone? I don't think he's going to be gone. Either way, unless it's like a disaster, just because it's a crazy, weird season. It's short. The schedule's not going to be that hard. I don't think you're going to give him a whole lot of credit for going like five and one or six and zero, oh, and I don't think you give him a lot of blame for doing worse than that. It's just a weird season. I don't think you can do much with his, the size of his contract and all that until 2021. Just my opinion. I think it's going to come down to him being gone. It's not. It's because of the money. You know, there's just too much tied up, and the fact that. Athletic departments are losing so much money. I don't think he's going to get a pass unless they get into the college football playoff in the other direction from USC fans. You know, I think they'll feel like yeah. we should have won. We should have been six and zero. We should have been in the Pac-12 championship. The schedule is trash. We should have been there anyways. So I don't think they'll give him that credit, even if he deserves it at that point. Yeah. 
Adrian says, question for all three of you, who is your breakout player of the year? I feel like it's very early to name that. Yeah, it's tough without seeing a single practice. Not seeing any practice and only like a couple coach interviews? Yeah. Uh, I might go with like Pallier Noatote. I think he's going to have a huge season. Uh, you know, defensive coordinator is his position coach. He's a super talented dude. He sort of has been around, but not necessarily been like, you know, filling up the stat sheet. I think he's going to fill up the stat sheet this year. Shadi? I think that's a really good good guess there. If Justin Didis gets on the line, I think, uh, you know, a starting spot, I think he's a guy that it was a tank. So, you know, we might see some really positive things from him. And then a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, he's got huge numbers already, but he might be, if they get enough play games in compared to other teams, he might be a Bolitnikoff finalist mm. like Michael Pittman was last year. Interesting. He's really, really good. He is. Does that count as a breakout, though? Hey, sh uh, it's expected. Shoddy, real quick. We talked last week. Someone asked about Tyler Vaughn's like getting all the records. He probably can't do it in the six or seven games, right? But he could come back for 2021 and then just own all the records. He yeah. could do that, but he's also going to be, I think, 23 years old. So yeah. it depends on what he wants to do with his life. If he thinks he has a uh, career as a professional football player, he needs to start that. He probably should start it. But otherwise, you'd be like, you know what? I can leave USC and I'll have like every single receiving record possible. It'd be pretty funny. Does that make you the same amount of money as the NFL does? That's the question. No, but you know. <laughs> you have some bragging rights, I guess. Yeah. My breakout player is Bruce McCoy. I'll say. He is finding to get on the field and will be angry and do well. That's my theory. <laughs> not, not a very articulate theory, but there we go. Like uh, Tom says, what time will your alarms go off on game day? If we're talking for that 9 a.m. game, woo! <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it depends on what we're allowed to do. If we can be there, it's going to be significantly True. earlier. That's a good point. Um, we're usually there two or three hours ahead of time in the press box, or at least I am. And I'd probably be <laughs> similar. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, you guys roll up late. But uh, <laughs> yeah, on. so I don't know. That's well, Shotgun won't, Shotgun won't go to bed. Shotgun has things to do and people to see before the game, but yes. yes. Uh, but that I, won't happen this season. Yeah, it's going to anyway, be a completely different six. season. I go 6 a.m. I'll just guess. That's when you're going to wake up? Probably. Oh, wow. It's, it's going to be a completely different season. You know, I usually stop by and see friends before games and then go in and, you know, looking to see which recruits are at games. Those things aren't going to be happening. You know, it's going to be basically, okay, when the team is ready to come out, of the, you know, to see who's – active and who's practicing that's that's what time we'll need to be at the stadium uh but i still will probably stay up all night on thursday so that i'll go to bed really early on friday and then wake up at you know four or five in the morning weird yeah. the weird thing i uh, so if you guys want to check it out i do an art cast with uh, dr bartner it's on the usc trojans uh their facebook page and their youtube page and stuff and it's been great talking to him once a week we're going to do a 12 episode deal and the band will not be there and it's a Pac-12 decision and just when we went over the in-game traditions of what the band does and you know running through the tunnel and when they play for the when the players are coming out and they're warming up and then when the players like leave the field the band's right there doing their pregame show and the drum major comes out and stabs the field and thinking about being at a game and none of that being there like how dead that's, that's going so to be weird. like I would do a lot of times pregame from the press box, I would uh, broadcast live like on our Facebook page or YouTube page or whatever just from my phone and show everyone uh, here's what the pregame festivities are because they don't show that on television. Like all that stuff is going to be gone. I think it's just going to feel so weird. You know, the no fans is one thing, but yeah. 
the pomp and circumstance of what they do. It's this, it's this regimented pregame stuff that you get used to, and that's all going to be gone. Now, they won't be blaring music, I assume, uh, through the speakers and stuff. Remember, because it's hard to even hear in the press box. I feel like and, that's more incentive to blare the music. You need to like what? make up oh, for that. God. Yeah, but there's no fans there to blur. Oh man, that's so, you can't even talk in the press box. It's so loud. It's crazy. <laughs> Old man says what? No. Cloud, okay. <laughs> oh, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, exactly the phrase you use. The pomp and circumstance uh, of this game is is, is going to be completely different. You know, there's no song girls. There's is Traveler even going to be a part of it? That's a, I don't Traveler know if that's going to be allowed. Uh, but his handlers can. So no, well, I, it was just a question. I think it says horses. no mascots. I think there's no. I think that's not allowed. I don't think it's just a, that's just allowed. a wild horse riding through. What's the big yeah. deal? Yeah, <laughs> that's not a mascot. That's a a symbol. <laughs> Okay, we need to get back on track. We're Sorry. losing it over here. Uh, Danny says, do you think Taylor Katoa will be ready after having a two-year mission? Really hard to say. Um, he, he does look pretty thick, you know, from, from seeing him in the in the background, some, some video and stuff. But where he's at, you know, physically and mentally, that's hard to really say until we see some practice or see enough clips to, to be able to, to make it a determination there. Mm -hmm. Guy says, is Larry Scott any closer to being fired? <laughs> I, I was thinking about this today. Some people were asking that? me. So his, his contract's up 2022. I think the Pac-12, the, the right thing to do is to get rid of him now. And then you want someone in place because 2024 is the big year. That's the TV contract stuff. You need to start that a couple years ahead of time. You'd like to have someone in place for a little while before that gets going. I just don't see the Pac-12. I, th I, I feel like they're going to do something where it's like they're not going to renew him. They're going to let it, they'll talk about it. They're like just, you know, mutually decided to part ways. Larry Scott can go off on his own and they'll bring somebody in. The right thing to do would be to fire him, though, like probably after the season. I just don't think they're going to do it. I think they're sort of going to let it just peter out. And uh, they both just part ways when his contract is over. Do you feel like he bought himself some, some time by the way he handled the coronavirus? Because there, no. there was a window where we were praising Larry Scott and the Pac-12. They did. He did well for that part, but that's basically he did well because that was the easy thing to do is to shut things down. Not yeah. that was easy to do, but that was easy for him. But once it became clear, hey, everyone else is going forward, he was still in the, well, we really wanted to shut down, so we're going to keep with that. Yeah. I mean, the John Wilner report that came out and, you know, it, it really praised USC's players for writing that letter to Gavin Newsom. That was the catalyst going on. But the presidents were talking about basketball returning instead of football. They were like, no, football's still going to go in January, but we might be able to do basketball sooner. Like, that's the mentality. Like, that's completely wrong. Yeah, you can worry about basketball, but football's the most important thing. If, if everyone else is going forward with football, you can't put that on the back burner, and that's what the Pac-12 did. So any goodwill, he like a couple of weeks of goodwill, that's all gone. Like, it's just, he's just made bad decisions, and, and the Pac-12 needs to move on. Mm-hmm. Shadi, I know you could go on a uh, Larry Scott rant, but I'm going to save you from doing that. Um, <laughs> Jay says, does COVID level the playing field for SC by reducing other teams' ability to prepare? <laughs> Let's just say that USC is in so, such a low level of preparedness. Um, I think the teams are going to be able to prepare like normal. It's just going to be with more precautions now. You know, Now that everyone has basically started back up, you know, Cal, Stanford, all the schools have started back up. I think everybody's back on the even playing field. I don't think anyone's necessarily much lower than, than other schools. Final question comes from Mark. He says, with the Pac-12's lower game count, does USC have to be dominant in their undefeatedness to have any chance of making the playoffs? 100%. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, not only undefeated, but dominant. Um, really come out against ASU, spank Utah on the road, obviously blow out the, the Arizonas and the Colorados and stuff, and really handle what you hope is a 6-0 and Oregon team that has a lot of talent too, uh, and show everyone, hey, and you're probably going to need some more uh, Florida LSU postponements, cancellations, things like that, where, you know, we don't know if Florida's going to be able to play. They, they've already postponed that LSU game. They might not be able to play Missouri the next week. If you have a few of those, and that's Florida's a good team. If the Alabamas or the Georgias, are, they lose a game or two along the way, then that's kind of a little bit more of an even playing field. So you need a lot of stuff to kind of happen. But to take care of business on the USC side or whoever from the Pac-12, yeah, you got to dominate uh, that schedule. There's no like, well, they – they this close one against Colorado. You can't have anything like that. You just have to show everyone, wow, this team just blew away the entire Pac-12. They are clearly the best team in the Pac-12. That's the only way you would even consider them being part of a, a four-team playoff. More important than all of that is to take care of business themselves around the field, around the dorms and stuff, so they don't lose any games and keep all your own student athletes healthy. I think that's more important because if you don't get to six or seven games, then – you know, if you're playing four to five, there's definitely no chance. You're not even yeah. in consideration. Um, so I think you got to take care of your stuff first. And then you see how everything else plays out. But you, you take care of yourself and you try to, you know, try to run up the score for once and actually be be able to accomplish that, which is something USC has really struggled with under Clay Helton. And, hey, that'd be great for the development of those younger players. And that's what people like Corey Foreman want to see is development. You know, those things all tie in together and work their way up the, the ladder if you do it. So I think that there's there's a, lo a ton of good things that can come out of it if USC can do that. Mm -hmm. All righty, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we wrap it up for tonight's show? I wanted to say another breakout player I thought of is Marquis Stepp. Uh, a lot of people love throwing his name out there a lot, but he actually hasn't played that much, doesn't have yeah. a ton of yardage or touchdowns. You know, When he's been in there, he's looked good, but he's been injured and banged up and hasn't played a ton in his career so far. So he could be a guy that breaks out if he can get healthy. That's a good point. I mean, that Notre Dame game was kind of the – this is he breaking out and then he got injured the very next game so he's had those flashes but can he really stay healthy and capitalize we shall see yeah i would just say make sure you're checking out uscfootball.com these guys are putting doing a great job with the coverage a ton of content going up for even practices we can't see but uh, a lot of analysis uh, a lot of insight uh, a lot of stories uh podcasts videos like this so make sure you're checking out the site there's a ton of stuff going up there we are counting down to the kickoff uh, for 2020 for USC, November 7th. So it's getting closer. Crazy, crazy. Football for real in 2020. Football. Wow. Exciting. I'm excited, guys. All righty, that's going to wrap it up for tonight's show. That's Ryan. That's Chakam. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! 
A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.